This is Bless You Boys Podcast 85, recorded Friday, September 6, 2013. Doom. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Bless You Boys Podcast, where the editorial staff of BlessYouBoys.com, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog, gets together to kick around the last week or so of Detroit Tigers baseball. I'm your host. Uh, I'm also a blogger, wrangler, co-managing editor of Bless You Boys, Al Beaton. You know me around the side very often as Big Al. Joining me are the usual suspects. Actually, we have a returning guest. Uh, he, he wants to be a regular, so he's still kind of on super double secret probation, that would be the man you guys know as Hook Slide. How are you doing? I am doing just great, um, but I might inquire, what is super double secret probation? Well, if you knew, you wouldn't be on double super secret probation. <laughs> All right, then. I will just go with uh, the usual suspects. Then. Yeah, I'm not, now I'm imagining you sitting in front of me with a, a pencil up your nose and, and half <laughs> drunk. So, <laughs> Well, one of those two things is true. I'll let you <laughs> figure out which one. Also joining us this week is uh, the man we call, well, he's right, uh, you know, he got on my case last week for not reminding you guys of this, that he's right about 99% of the time, give or take, uh, per, you know, a tenth of percenters point or two, and that would be co-managing editor of Bless You Boys, also a columnist for Detroit News, and he does numerous things for SB Nation, and that would be Mr. Kurt Menchin, who is up in the UP as usual. Kurt, how's things? Hello, here. Oh, good lord! <laughs> uh, so, when did Rich Little join the show? I, I don't, I don't, I don't even get that reference. I'll have to Google when we're done. You don't know who Rich Little is? I, I, I know who Little Richard is. <laughs> My God! Wait a minute. Thanks for making me feel even older than I am. <laughs> hey, a lot of people wouldn't know who Little Richard is either. So. Yeah, you're, you got a point there. So actually, uh, even less people would know who Little Richard is at this point. So, but uh, that, that, well, we we all do know that Kurt is fairly pop culture illiterate as it is. So, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. But regardless of all that, now that we got the uh, uh, the probationary things out of the way and the impressions out of the way, at least for the time being, uh, a little bit about the show. If you want to contact us with your thoughts and questions, usual places are bybtigers at gmail dot com. BYB podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at bless you boys and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash BYB.tigers. All right. We need to, uh, well, I guess we got to get the, the big one out of the way. And that is the 20 to four loss that happened a couple days ago. Uh, by the way, recording this on Friday afternoon. Uh, the loss went down Wednesday night in Boston. Tigers lost 20 to four and obviously doom. Seem to just fall all over the uh, fan base. And it's kind of funny, the reaction, because the first two games of the series were pitchers' duels. Could have gone either way. Tigers split them. Uh, they have a, a season record of 4-3 and three over the Red Sox. They actually beat them in the season series, which Jim Leland happily reminded reporters after the game. Regardless, though, the Tigers allowed eight home runs and 17 unanswered runs from the fourth inning on and in what became a very brutal-to-watch loss. And as usual, the overreaction was on an artist, especially from certain parts of the media and fan base. Uh, Kurt, when does one game trump 140? Obviously, That's this does. Only to a certain percentage of the fan base, or really any fan base. But, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, well, why are we surprised? I'm yeah. just going to say that. Why Why would we be surprised? One game, here's when one game trumps 162. When you lose in the first round of the wild card playoffs. <laughs> exactly. That's the only time. Well, well, this I even got it. I mean, I rarely do this. I, I try not to get antagonistic with members of the media. For the most part, they're pretty cool guys on Twitter. Yet, I kind of lost it that night when uh, 97 won the ticket their Twitter, along with Dennis Fiffian and Pat Caputo's Twitter, posted that they were going to be on the uh, on the air after the game, asking the question: Does this mean, does this loss mean the, the the Tigers are overrated and been exposed? 
and that's I actually contacted these guys and said, you know, when does one game trump 140 games they've already played? Uh, and I got the reply from Caputo saying, well, the last 30, the 36 innings, if you take in the three games against the A's and this loss, shows there's some weaknesses on the Tigers and there's some issues there. And that's when I threw back the the Tigers won the season series against the Red Sox. No, you guys are just trolling people at this point. I, I the reaction to this game really set me off. Hookslide, what was your take on all this? Because I know you were active on you were actually with some friends that night watching the game. At, uh, you, you kind of like a mini meetup, weren't you? Yeah, yes, I was. I got to get together with uh, one of the members of the BYB community. We got to go to a local bar and watch the game on TV. It was a great time. It's, that's the most fun I've ever had in a 20-run blowout. <laughs> but are you surprised by the reaction that we've seen? Depends on, on which part of the fan base you're talking about. I mean, as Kurt pointed out, it's just a very small percentage of the fan base that's going to respond that way. And those that did, no, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, this is... This is just fodder, you know, for mm-hmm. the trolls. Um, I don't know if any right-thinking fan was too concerned by this, though. I mean, it's just an anomaly, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, it, and it's fun to watch something like that happen. It, not fun to watch them lose, obviously, but if, if they're going to lose, I mean, my goodness, what a circus. That was, that was mm-hmm. kind of a I, – I was saying later uh, after the game, I went back and looked at the stats and said, uh, you have to go back to 2004 mm-hmm. for the last time the Tigers gave up 20 or more runs. So – Hey, look at it this way. We got to see a little bit of history. Yeah, and as as a lot of people noted, I mean, immediately after that game, the last team the, that the Red Sox scored 20 against was the Marlins in 2003, and the Marlins won the World Series that year. So, you know, it's not like a, you know, it's just, it's, you know, what have you done for me lately? Well, hell, at this point, it's like, what have you done for me in the last 12 hours when it comes to baseball anymore? But I, I guess we should, uh, this kind of leads into, Kurt, your compadre at the Detroit News wrote an article over the past day or so essentially trying to convince people or remind them that despite what happened in Boston, despite the three uh, losses against the A's, this is not going to be a replay of 2009. You know, trying to remind people that this year's Indians are not the 2009 Twins, which was a much better team than the Indians are. You know, I noticed that you were talking to Tony on Twitter, you know, essentially, <laughs> you know, just saying there's not really much you can do about this. You mean, you, a lot of these people, you can talk to them blue in their face, the Tigers will be have won the pennant, and they'll still want Jim Leland fired for whatever reason. That that is true, and, and you know one thing I noticed is that sometimes Tony is one of those negative guys on Twitter too, and yeah, on a, during, especially during a game, especially. Yeah, he can get pretty bitter, and uh, if if he's saying, "Come on, guys, calm down, this isn't the end of the world," well, then you know it's definitely not the end of the world. So that's uh, and, and that's it. I mean, really, it's. I think you summed it up. You said the radio guys were trolling. That's what they're doing. And you know why? Because they need people to call in and they need idiots to call in so that a sane person like you will listen to the fools. Well, you know, you're only feeding them the machine, Al. You, you got to stop listening. Well, to I, the I will fools. say I didn't, I didn't listen that night. I just replied on Twitter and then I went and sat in a big chair and had a drink. <laughs> well, that seems like the best way to end any game, really. Yeah, well, I was exhausted after that game because that recap sucked just because – uh, you know, because as a lot of you guys know, I, I kind of write the recap as the game is going on, and we you know, and there's points where you try to get ahead of the head of things. Like you know, when, when the Tigers were, were down six runs, I'm already starting to write the lead for it. I'm writing the opening paragraphs because the odds are they weren't going to come back. Unfortunately, the Red Sox kept scoring so damn much, I had to continually change the damn thing and then go back through it to make sure. Okay, do I have to score right here? Do I have the right amount of hits here? Because it was, oh, it was just. It was just an awful night all the way around, you know, between the game itself, trying to write about it, and then all the reaction, well, I should say overreaction to it uh, post-game. So it was just miserable. <laughs> that, that should have been a, sorry, that should have been an easy recap to write, I would think, if, if you know how to use the copy and paste function. Well, you just nope. say the Red Sox hit a home run, copy, paste, 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 and you're done. Well, see, that, see I'm not... I'm not See, I'm a, I'm, I guess I'm a masochist, masochist when it comes to writing a recap because uh, uh, I don't copy and paste that much of it. There are those games where I could do that, but this was just one of those games where it was, you know, I was like, oh, are they, they're done scoring. No, they're not. Are they done? No, they're not done scoring yet. God damn it. So I'm, I'm, I'm just glad we can all kind of move on from that. But uh, hook slide, do you think the, the gloom and doomers are a little, even a little over the top over their fear that the Tigers are going to collapse because this is not 
this is a hell of a lot better team than the one that didn't collapse in 2009. And that's another thing people forget about that was uh, that was also brought up in uh, Tony Paul's column, and that the 2009 Tigers, Tigers didn't collapse. The 2009 Twins played out of their minds over the past over the last two weeks of that season. They played like 800 ball that month, and the Tigers were a couple games over 500. Regardless of all that, looks like people just tend to lump all this together and not look, you know, again, it's that black and white crap, don't you think, where there's no nuances, there's no gray areas. It's either got to be yes or no. They're, they will collapse or they won't collapse. It's the difference between looking at the long-term view and, and living in the moment, um, you know, because as you're sitting here watching this game unfold, uh, it is kind of hard to imagine in the moment that a World Series caliber team could get blown out so badly. And so maybe you're watching that one game and going, oh, my God, this is not this is not a World Series team. Mm-hmm. You know, and so maybe there's that little, the old amygdala, you know, kicks in the fight or flight and you go crazy. You know, like, go have a shot of whiskey and settle down. It's one game. Uh, yeah, they lost by a lot. But it's not like the Red Sox got extra credit for the mm-hmm. 20 runs. They didn't get extra, you know, games in the standing. The Tigers didn't get penalized for being blown See, out like that. You would think they did by the way that people reacted. <laughs> right, right. But, but they didn't. You know, it's, it's one game. It's still just one loss. In the column. Are you sure it's just one loss? You're positive. Uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I check every day. You know, it hasn't changed in a couple of days, so it looks like it was just one loss. They didn't tack on an extra one just for 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 the sake of tacking one on. So I, I checked the, the television the next day just to make sure the Red Sox were finally done batting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I think they're done anyway. Uh, but uh, it, yeah, it was just one of those. Uh, the analogy used in the recap, it was a snowball that turned into an avalanche, and there are games like that. I mean, we've seen the Tigers do it with the team. So the, right. these games happen. And another thing that people, I don't know if they're forgetting or they're, they're tending to ignore, Kurt, is that all the pitchers involved in that game are either going to be minimalized or not even on the playoff roster. Yeah, that, I think that was the point I made, that, you know, other, other than Rick Porcello, and I, I you know, I, I don't know if he's going to be in the playoff rotation or not, and lately it seems like not might be the better bet. Uh, beyond that, you know, I I I don't see Jeremy Bonderman on the playoff roster. I, I you know I, I don't see Evan Reed on the playoff roster. Uh, Al Albuquerque, everyone hoped would be part yeah. of the playoff roster, but he has been nothing but a disappointment this year. These guys are not going to be in a situation where you know they're pitching in the playoffs, and and you know and and if they are. Well, you know, it's probably a it lost a game cause. Like this. Yeah. yeah, it's probably a lost cause anyway, yeah. and that would that would be the rotation's fault, not the relief pitcher's fault. And that's the thing to remember that in the playoffs, and the Tigers need pitching in the sixth inning because a starter got in trouble. You're going to see Bruce Rondon or Drew Smiley or someone like that. You're not going to see Al Albuquerque for Christ's sake, and or, or for that matter, you'll see Rick Porcello, who has done very well out of the bullpen in the, in the playoffs in the past. So. Again, this is just one of those things that we all just need to wipe from our brains, you know, break out the, you know, the rusty melon baller out of your uh, drawer and, you know, kitchen drawer and just take that little piece out of your brain and just forget all about it. So, Al, before we move on, yeah, just to follow through on this, the whole, you know, hey, they collapsed in that one game. They're going to collapse this whole season yeah. because, you know, fire Leland. Yeah. Uh, I did want to remind people because I went back and checked. The last time the Tigers have been in first place three consecutive years was Huey Jennings. Really? 1907 to 1909. And assuming that there's still a lock for first place this year, that means Leland's the last guy to, I mean, to do it since Huey Jennings are crying out loud. Yeah, that's one of the things that Kurt and I have said on this podcast over and over and over. This is a golden era of Tigers baseball, and a lot of that has to do with the man who's running the goddamn team on the field. Do we all agree with Jim Leland? No. No, he bunts too much. Uh, you know, he tends to put play favorites at times that we may not agree with. He tends to be a little stubborn with the batting order. But when it comes to running the team, there's not a better guy in baseball. No. We don't hear any of the bullshit we used to hear when Alan Trammell was running the team or Buddy Bell was running the team. It, it, much like when Sparky Anderson was running it. There was no crap. My way or the highway. And everybody on that team respects Jim Leland. And the cry to fire the guy, you know, that's, again, as Kurt said, and needs to be said over and over again. We're not talking about the large majority of the fan base. We're talking about a relatively small segment that feels this way, and plus the guys in the media who are just essentially trying to troll and get attention to themselves. So that's all it is. 
But it's fun to have a little historical comparison and just say, you know, you're watching history right now. Yeah. They've not taken, you know, first place three years in a row since the early 1900s. And mm-hmm. another little fun fact I like to throw out there is that, you know, everybody respects a manager like Leo DeRocher. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the number of pennants and World Series won, uh, Leland has matched him. Mm-hmm. You want to look at the win record? Leland has a 506 record. That's better than Casey Stengel, believe it or not. So, you know, yeah, fire him. <laughs> Yeah, that's something else. People look on the uh, the late six, the mid to late sixties, uh, the majority of the eighties as glory years for the Tigers. Those and both of those teams only made the uh, World Series once, you know. But the thing is, they won it. That's what this group hasn't done yet. But that out of the equation, this era of baseball, as you said, is probably the most successful uh, that this franchise has had in you know a century. And that's nothing to sneeze at, even though people will. All right, we got to talk a little bit about uh, run support because Jim Leland made a case about it, and now that got all the sabermetric guys all up in arms as they tend to do at any perceived slight. There was a media graphic during the, the last start for Max Scherzer, which showed that he would have been he would be have an 11-10 record if he had received the same amount of run support as John Lackey, the, the Red Sox starters who actually outdoodled in that in that game. Leland went off after the game saying it's just people looking for flaws, and he doesn't believe in that stuff. And that's the thing that all the sabermetric guys went into. But the quote was, my view of pitcher stats is this, that he give us a chance to win. If he did it on any kind of consistent basis for me, then he's a very good pitcher. But I also like guys that win. I'd rather have a pitcher no one is talking about who has won 15 games than someone, somebody everyone is raving about who has won five. I think that's Kind of little mistaken. He maybe, but you got you got on a rant and started saying a little too much. But for the most part, I don't have any issue about it. That last part is what the sabermetric guys jumped on, Kurt, and they're still upset about it. Well, I got to tell you, if I was a baseball manager, I'd rather have the guy with 15 wins too. <laughs> <laughs> Winning is kind of the point here, what you know, mm-hmm. and you you can. You can you can you can take this and go well you know man he's not as good as the guy with only five wins and that, that hey maybe next year I'd rather have the guy who only won five wins but if we're just looking at the season I'm taking the guy with 15 wins over the guy with five wins any time the object of the game is to win and put wins in wins in the standings you know so I from Leland's point of view it makes perfect sense to me I don't I don't see it any problem at all with what he said from that point of view now if you're saying, well, next year I'd rather have the guy who won 15 games this year. Then you're you're wrong. You're, you know, that that's when you're, you're you're getting off track. But this year you want the guy who won more games. That that's just the way it is. And Kurt, let me ask you this though: Do you think that the Tigers shun all advanced metrics is incorrect? I mean, they do look at a lot of this stuff. It's just varying degrees, right? Well, here's this will tell you everything you know need to know about the Tigers. Doug Fister had a horrible win-loss record, and the Tigers wanted him anyway. Badly they wanted him. Because they understood that it's not just about win-loss record. They looked at his, his indicator stats. They probably have their own version of sabermetrics inside the front office. And hmm. they saw what smart fans like, like you know, bless you boys, Rieger, saw. They saw that there's a whole lot of potential in Doug Fister and his win-loss record says nothing at all about the season he's having. So, you know, to, to paint the Tigers as a team that would only look at win-loss records would be completely wrong because they've shown in the past they're not looking at that. They're looking at other things. So, it, you know, yeah, they're using sabermetrics. I, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, and hooks like, don't you think uh, Leland's, I, I don't want to call it a rant, but his, uh, but, oh, well, let me put it this way. Don't you think this is just Jim Leland doing his best that he knows how to support and maybe make a case for uh, his pitcher more than anything else. Not really going into the stats crap. This is, I just got to back up my pitcher and defend him. Well, Jim Leland denied the importance of run support, so fire him hmm. is what I say. Ah. Um, no. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, my favorite part of that quote, though, was when he said, I'm a baseball manager, not a statistician. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't be the only person who immediately mentally supplied to the, damn it, Jim. I mean, my goodness, what a great what a great quote. <laughs> I actually, I actually said not a belly itcher, but I guess that didn't work too. You see, not one managing you uh, saying that in Kermit the Frog's voice. So, 
<laughs> I'm a better eater. Oh, God. We've created a monster. <laughs> you know, but to, to go with that, Al, I, I really don't to – your, to your earlier point, I guess, I, Jim Leland does look at the stats. Yeah. I mean, maybe not down to the level that some, you know, sabermetrics guys do, but, yeah. you know, I, I think it was not that long ago when he played uh, Don Kelly against, was it uh, Masterson? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, people said, what are you doing? And he actually, you know, pulled out the stats and said, no, look what he's doing against this guy, you know, career. And said, okay, he, he's he's looking at the numbers. Yeah, and Kelly had like three hits and a home run that game. Right. Right. Yep. So, you know, mm-hmm. stats do work. But, I, I mean, maybe, I don't know, I, I, you can't talk for, speak for Jim Leland, you know, but maybe he was just getting frustrated with the, with the complexity of it or something. I don't know. Well, and then the big scheme of things, Kurt, you know, Really, you know, he can only do so much uh, with who he's been given. Don't you think that when it comes to the deeper analysis, other, you know, other than he has to put together the game day lineup and he'll look at, you know, who's doing well against this pitcher and that, doesn't the importance of sabermetrics more go towards the front office and the players they acquire than after the fact? Yeah, you know, it, that that Jim has has a say. He can say, I like this, or I like that, but... I don't think you know. I, I don't think people realize how baseball teams put together. You know, it, 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 it's the front office. It's David Dombrowski. He, he's talking to scouts. He's talking to you know other people. He, he's getting ideas. He's talking to people. He's looking at stats. I mean, yeah, yeah. Jim Leland gets to weigh in, but you know, this, this is a this is a really a big picture thing. You know, and and it, it, uh, most of what goes on goes on above Jim. So. What he does with it once he's got the players, you know, how how could he most efficiently use his bullpen, for instance? That that's another question entirely, and God knows we all disagree with the usage of bullpen, but and and we always will. But <laughs> but but yeah, what 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 you said is true. You know, a, a lot of this is just it's above Jim's head. Yeah. Well, I don't say you should put uh, not the stats are above Jim's head, but the decisions are above Jim's head. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, maybe that. Maybe, hey, he has a cell phone now, so I don't know. And he knows how he knows how to text. And I think he knows. No, he doesn't use Twitter, so but his son does. So, regardless of all that, again, this is just more tempest in a teapot stuff that gets dredged up when you have a team with a big lead that is pretty safe and uh, that they're going to make the playoffs. So it's a. Uh, you know, Al, the thing is, is he might actually be, he might be right in this particular instance and, and tracking the run support of the starting rotation is something I've kind of been doing since the, mm-hmm. the start of the season. And the one thing that I've noticed is that, yeah, maybe early on April, May, you know, early June timeframe, yeah. there was a really big discrepancy between Max Scherzer, who was getting, I mean, pretty close to seven runs per game somewhere in there. Whereas like Rick Porcello was getting closer to three, three and a half. And it was a pretty wide gap, but as of, you know, this point in the season, it's actually kind of flattened out a little bit. And see, again, that's that gray area that people tend to ignore, right? Yeah, I mean, you can't blame the whole thing on run support at this yeah. point. I mean, still, Max is getting the most, but it's closer to six. But Rick Porcello is getting closer to, like, four. And at that point, I think you do have to start looking at, you know, what about these guys and their ERAs and their FIPs? And, you know, what else accounts for the difference? Because it's not just run support at this point. Yeah. Hey, I wrote a column about this. I can step in here. Feel free. <laughs> uh, you know. Game score. That I think game score. I believe that was invented by Bill James, and yeah. uh, Max Scherzer for the season has an average higher game score than Hugh Darvish or Felix Hernandez. Quality starts. Max Scherzer was beating them. Innings. You know, he was one. Sh- he he was a uh, uh, less in or fewer innings. Because I'm an editor, I have to see fewer. Yeah, fewer innings than I believe uh, Felix or Darvish, one or the other, because he had one one fewer start. So you know, if you if you look across the board. What you see is it's a pretty it's a pretty good picture to be painted. It's not just run support, you know. Across the board, he, he's striking out a lot. He's not walking people. He's going deeper in games than anyone else, you know. There, there's a lot of reasons. Run support is uh, sure part of the reason for for having a few more wins than you would. But it, it, it's the kind of season that even even without huge run support, he'd still have won 16, 17 games of it. Again, it's, it's a what-if game that everybody likes to play, and, you know, there's no guarantee, you know, if, if Scherzer had gotten a little less support or how it, was, um, how it was given to him, how his season would change. It's just a silly game to play, but people like to play him anyway. All right, let's talk about some serious baseball stuff, and that would be injuries. 
obviously, in spite of several nagging injuries that he's been really playing with since the All-Star break, Miguel Cabrera was named AL Player of the Month of August. But he is still banged up, and it really does seem to be mo- these injuries are kind of catching up with him. Uh, he's made just one appearance since, I believe, he left Friday's game, last Friday's game early. He's only played once in the past week. Uh, now we're learning that Jose Iglesias is uh, playing through shin splints, something that's bothered him on and off throughout the year, and he had to leave uh, Wednesday's game early because of them. So the Tigers are in kind of a spot right now, guys. Uh, the Indians aren't completely out of it, plus there is the – the home field advantage thing, which uh, we uh, we'll, get, we'll get into that in a little bit, that they are still playing for, but they also have to start resting guys, kind of making plans for the postseason, and you know, seeing who can do this and who can do that, and let alone, you know, Cabrera. And Kurt, I know you wrote about this in your latest column for the Detroit News, saying that the time is here that the Tigers kind of got to wrap uh, Miguel Cabrera in bubble wrap, at least at least some of the time. Oh, for sure, because I mean, yeah, they're, they're making the playoffs. This. this uh, this has hardly ever been in doubt, but it is especially not nothing that you have to worry about at this point in time. So you have to start thinking about the playoffs, and you, you have to you have to think that, yeah, we know Cabrera's been hitting despite the injury, and he might still be doing that in October, but if he gets himself irrevocably broken in September, he won't be available in October. So they got to do everything they can to protect him because, you know, he's not the entire part of the lineup. They've been scoring a lot. They've been winning a lot, even without Cabrera. But he he is Miguel Cabrera. You're better with him than without him. When it comes to some of the other players, like Iglesias, again, they, there's this fine line the Tigers got to walk here that they still want to put a competitive team on the field. You know, the, the integrity of baseball, yet they also have to plan for a month from now when the playoffs start. So uh, I guess one, this is going to be one of those things, again, where you're going to have a lot of fans are saying, how come he's not in the lineup? when there's going to be a lot of underlying reasons that we may never know. Well, yeah, it's like Kurt said, even without Cabrera in the lineup, they're still winning more than they're losing, and they're still averaging somewhere around five runs per game even without him. Um, you know, But I've, I've said all season, I don't think the Tigers have had a single month this yeah. season where they've had a fully healthy team. You know, you had Jackson out, you had uh, – uh, Avila out, Infante was out, uh, Tui Asasopo went out. So it, let me press the, the, the panic and doom button for just a second. The one thing that I think could threaten their chances in the playoffs or even maybe getting to the playoffs is if too many of these injuries, you know, kind of clump together all at once. Mm-hmm. Well, that, and that's what they need to avoid. That's what they're hopefully trying to avoid. But uh, as we always seem to find out, I know this always happens like uh, during Red Wings playoff runs, Hook slide. Oftentimes we'll hear after the fact that these guys are actually more seriously hurt than the teams let on. And I guess that's a, I guess that's, you're right. It is a fear that maybe Cabrera is more hurt than the Tigers letting on. Well, I don't think he would ever let, let them know that. I mean, we hear about how much he wants to play. And, yeah. you know, clearly even uh, an injured Miguel Cabrera is still an amazing Miguel Cabrera. I swear they could give this guy a pair of crutches and he would take them out and still hit home runs with the crutches. So, but, you know, it, it's difficult. From our standpoint, you know, as fans, we're not behind the scenes. How how injured is he? Boy, I don't know. You know, they keep saying he can play through this. You know, he doesn't risk further injury by playing with the, you know, the, the abdominal strain or whatever. But, yeah, you just you want to see him get better, and how long is that going to take? Yeah, and, and Kurt, that's kind of the question we're all asking. When we see Miguel Cabrera struggle to get doubles out of 400-foot uh, line drives. Well, you know, he should just hit it 420 then. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> that fixes everything. Hit it harder and farther. All right. Speaking of, well, harder, the Tigers just can't – it's so hard for them to throw out base dealers. Uh, obviously, they can't steal, but this is a team that's you – know, they're just not built to run. You know, They have a couple guys who can run, and it looks like really only a couple guys who can really run the base as well. But regardless of all that, they just can't seem to throw out anyone on the base paths at this point. The Tigers have allowed 23 straight stolen bases. And the vast majority of those uh, stolen bases, no matter who has been the catcher, Alex Avila, Brian Pena, Brian Holiday, or uh, Victor Martinez, they didn't have a chance in hell of nailing the base runner. So, Kurt, this really seems to be an institutional issue at this point that all, none of the Tigers pitchers can hold on runners. And this is a, this is one of those things I'm, I'm fearing that could come back to bite them in a big way in the playoffs. It could, or maybe it could just give them reason to play Victor Martinez at catcher more. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, but you're right. It, it's very, it's very strange that 
I mean, it, they, not, it's not that they've had the best defensive catcher in the past, but they've never been in this situation, at least for the past few years. And it just, it's very strange. And, you, you, you know, yeah, you hate if the opposing manager says, hey, every single is going to become a double, you know. So, but we also have to put some of it down to pitching. You know, it's always a, uh, I'm sure Jim Price would tell you, it's always a, a two-person team there. And, you know, the, the pitchers have to do a better job of holding the runners and helping prevent the run game. Too. Yeah, I guess that's the disturbing part, though, Slide, is that, you know, we, you know Bruce Rondone, when he first came up, he was, it, it was it was sad watching him not bother not even bother to look at runners it seemed like they were running wild on him which is why it kind of bothers me that it seems like this is more an institutional issue than catchers who can't throw. What is this holding the runners <laughs> that, you, that you're talking about? I'm not familiar with that. No, I mean outside of I mean Justin Verlander seems to do a fairly yeah. decent job of you know keeping a, keeping an eye on the runners and actually picking them off now and again. Uh, but outside of that, you're right. Uh, it's I, I get a little nervous anytime there's a walk, yeah. Because oh god, it's going to be a double now, you know, just because they won't. Pitchers don't hold the runners, and the catchers for some reason can't seem to throw them out. I was surprised uh, looking at some of the stats recently because I think Alex Avila actually has a worse percentage in terms of catching runners stealing than uh, than even Brian Pena does. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's that fear that especially when you're playing better teams that will have some legitimate speed at the top of the order, or, or lower in the order for that matter, uh, in the playoffs, that that's what's going to happen. That If I'm managing another team, hook slide, I'm running until the Tigers prove they stop me. And I probably would agree and do the same thing, but let me kind of turn the tables too and say, you know, this kind of gets back to the to the little debate, you know, between old school baseball and the new flashy sabermetric baseball. You know, the small ball game, stealing bases, bunting, and so forth, and manufacturing runs, and how much does that really count? Um, for all of their, their troubles with holding runners and letting runners steal bases, the Tigers still have one of the highest, you know, offensive, uh, you know, runs per game in all of Major League Baseball. So is it really that big of an issue? Apparently not, because they're, you know, they're like, what, 23, 24 games over 500. It's just, uh, it's, well, again, yeah. it's one of those little nagging things that, you know, we're looking. I guess you can put it this way: we're looking for things that are wrong or that bother us. Yet you're right. In the big scheme of things, stolen bases have really become marginalized in today's game of baseball. Yep. For as much as they're getting run on, you know, successfully, um, you know, fine. Take your base, take the extra base. You maybe get a run or two out of it. But uh, with the offense that we've got, that's fine. You know, we'll still beat you six to four, or, you know, eight to three, or whatever, because we're hitting home runs and doubles and. You know, uh, Jim Leland alluded to that fact a couple weeks back in, in mm. one of his quotes in the paper and said, you know, that's not our game, but we do hit doubles, we do hit home runs. Yeah. Speaking of hitting doubles and hitting home runs, well, this guy's not doing it anymore, and that's uh, Matt Tuyasopo. His uh, second-half struggles have gotten to the point where he's pretty much hitting like a worse Hernan Perez. Uh, his second-half numbers are scary bad. He's hitting 194. His on-base percentage is 275. And what's really scary, as a guy who was put on this team to supply power, in the second half, he's slugging 242. <laughs> His OPS is 517 in the second half. So the, the question is, Kurt, why even play this guy at this point, especially when Andy Dirks, who is playing pretty darn well in the last month or so, and he doesn't have significant lefty-righty splits, maybe the time has come to put Andy Dirks back in the left field as the full-time guy. You know, I, I, I never lost faith in Andy Dirks. And, you know, I, I, I tried to point out that he's not as good as he was during that period of time last year, and people got, uh, got ideas about Andy that were unrealistic, but he wasn't as bad as people were talking this year either. It's like overreact, overreact, overreact. So, you know, I, I, I think Dirks and, you know, and, 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 and some Cassianos and, and see what happens, because you're right. So he asked the Sopo just, he he turned back into the pumpkin that he was, you yeah. know, it, and just like Quentin Berry did. And it's it's great when it's a nice story, but there's a reason these guys, you know, become veterans just trying to find a job. It's because they're not consistent enough to keep a job. And and Tuiasa Sopo, it's it just it's true for him now too. And, and that's the thing. This is a guy who had the email teams begging for you know to, for a spring training invite. Yeah, it's great that he had such a great first half, but you're right. He's kind of regressing back to what he really is and a very streaky hitter who is, well, uh, there's a reason why he's a career 4A guy. Let me ask you this hook slide. Uh, 
you think there's some serious consideration that uh, Matsu Yasusopo will not be on the postseason roster, even though he's been on the team all year? I, I no, I think he will be on the on the postseason roster. I mean, he he does pose something of a threat. Um, you know, it, yeah, he's having a very very bad second half. Um, but when you look at his career numbers, the OPS is is still pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, what scares me is his his batting average. Um, his his minor league career average is I think two fifty two. For this year, he's hitting two seventy two. So if he's going to keep regressing, he's still got another <laughs> twenty points to go. Um, you know, to match that that minor league career. Uh, but still, his his career numbers, both minor and major, they're they're pretty good in terms of the OPS. So if you're going to bring the guy into a game as a pinch hitter, you know, looking for that big knock, the big home run, the double, whatever. Um, it's, it's probably not a bad idea. Just use him sparingly, I guess. I mean, I don't have a problem with Andy Dirks in left field. Like we talked about last week, he is consistently uh, unremarkable, but he is still consistently hitting one for four pretty much every game. Now, well, this begs the question, Kurt. When the time comes for Tigers to make a decision on Johnny Peralta, at least to announce their decision on Johnny Peralta, if they need to make roster room, wouldn't it make sense to uh, that Tuiasa Sopo becomes the odd man out if they decide to make uh, Peralta their, uh, playoff eligible? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, they, they they might have the ability to get rid of an infielder, too, because we know Iglesias would have to stay, and he'd right. be a key part of being a defensive replacement. So, uh, you know, Tuiasa Sopo, sure, I, I could see him, but, you know, uh, I, I guess they probably wouldn't kick Ramon Santiago to the curb, but they, maybe they should. Well, and isn't uh, Hernan Perez also playoff eligible at this point? Um, he was yeah, brought up on the 31st, wasn't he? I, maybe he was. And, yeah. and, you know, I'd, I'd have to double check that. But yeah, you know, either one of those guys. They 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 have too many infielders. That's, yeah. So I I don't know that Tui Asasopo will be their first choice. You know. Well, you know how we can fix all this, folks. Fine, I just put Johnny Peralta on left field when the playoffs start, right? <laughs> and with that, I'm out. So, <laughs> you know I, that that's going to come up, though. Putting Peralta in left? I yep, because people always refer back, well, Mickey Stanley moved the shortstop in 1968. And Mickey Lolich stole a base once. These <laughs> 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 one-time luck shots, you know. I, I, I honestly don't know if we can expect Peralta to even be on the uh, postseason roster. It's 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 one of those open ended things that people say, Yeah, he should be and I'm not even you know, arguing whether he should or shouldn't. Right. I don't I don't know if that's gonna happen. Um just because look at it this way. Uh Cabrera has been kinda spotty on and off with the injuries. And this last game that he came out uh, after being gone for a good stretch of like three or four games, he, he did not do well at the plate and people were all, you know, saying, See, he looks lost. He's got like four games of rust, you know, that he's trying to shake off and he mm-hmm. just doesn't seem to be his old self and I'm going, Really? And you're gonna you know, argue for Peralta then after being out for 50 games? Oh, boy. I don't know. But, yeah, do it. Put him in left. See what happens. Well, let me ask you guys this since we're on Peralta. I'll just, I'll just throw this out there. We'll, 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 we'll vote on this. Not what we think or should they do. I should Let me put it this way. Not We're not going to say what we think is going to well, – what we think the Tigers should do, not our own opinion, but what do you think the Tigers are going to do? When it comes down to it, is Johnny Peralta put on a roster, or have the Tigers just washed their hands of him altogether? So I'll start with you, Hookslide. Is Johnny Peralta? We'll, we'll never see him in the league see again. It's a really close call. Um, I am going to vote yes by like maybe a two percent margin because Jim Leland is pretty loyal yeah. to his to his players. So yep, I, I think Peralta makes the list, and you can probably count on an interview with Leland where he says exactly that. You know, well, well, Johnny's been good for us, and we're going to give him the shot. Let me ask you, Kurt. Will the Tigers bring him back or wash their hands of him? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's not a very good answer, but, you know, they're just leaving it so open-ended that, you know, sometimes you can read between the lines or this or that, but if you didn't say, you know, I can't really interpret what they're saying right now. So uh, they need him. I think they need him. I hope they see that they need him, but I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm really up in the air as to what they will do. But my gut is telling me that they've washed their hands at Peralta and they've moved on. And they're, they're they say, well, we you know we have the future at shortstop right now. Why court any controversy or? You know, let's just, you know, there's going to be controversy either way. You know, and the Tigers do seem to be a franchise that doesn't like the court much of it. And bringing Peralta back, 
for the playoffs, it might be just something they say, you know, we've played 50-plus games without him. We can win the World Series without him. So be it. And I think my personal feeling is, at least my gut's telling me, the Tigers are going to say, uh, thanks for all the memories, and we'll you go to free agency. I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I predict that they do bring him back, not as a, a starter, per se, because I don't think they will want to upset the whole thing with Iglesias at shortstop. Right. I think they'll keep him on as a possible pinch hitter. And I predict he comes on to pinch it in Game 7 of the World Series and hits the walk-off home run. And then the fan base does not know what the heck to think. <laughs> They're they all want him back. It's like, bring him back for the next year, you know. So that, that's my prediction. And put him in left field. <laughs> put him in left field. Our new left field savior, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of left field savior, thanks for the segue. Uh, Nick Castellanos was finally called up, the Tigers' top prospect. Uh, actually, he got the call after the 31st, so he's right now not playoff eligible. He's played in two games in substitute roles. He's 0 for 2, so that means he sucks, right, Kurt? He does suck. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no. What, uh, you know, people I've said all along have to keep their their expectations in place, and God knows nobody will ever listen to me do that, but, <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's not going to hit 400 with a, you know, piggy in numbers or anything. Uh, hook slide. Do you think we'll see much playing time for him at all, or is this just one of those things where if he gets uh, you know 20 at bats over the next month, he's doing well? If he even gets to 20, yeah. Uh, and I'm just basing that on, on what I saw Jim Leland do with uh, obviously Al Garcia during the time that they had him. And I, I think you know a lot of people were correct in saying, why is he even here if you're going to sit him that many games? Yeah. You know, supposedly he's here to get the MLB experience. Let him have it. Uh, I don't see that changing. I'd like to see Castellanos get more, you know, play time. It remains to be seen, though. I mean, he just got called up. So uh, the theory that says Jim Leland will wait until after the Tigers have either clinched or are closer to clinching before they start giving him more, you know, game time, I think that's probably pretty accurate. But if he gets 20 at-bats, he's he's doing well. Yeah, because it looks like most majority of his playing time will be in, you know, pinch running, the occasional pitch hitting, uh, blowout uh, duty, as we saw on Wednesday, things like that. You know, you know, we very rarely have such highly thought of prospects on this team, and you know, at least a few, uh, position prospects. So, you know, we're all desperately eager to see him play, but I think we're, we're not really going to get to see him play until spring training, when I'm sure he's going to play every damn day and be given every opportunity to supplant Andy Dirks as the left fielder. Until that time, I'm, I'm with both you guys. You know, uh, Castellanos is going to struggle to get playing time because that's how Jim Leland runs things. He's got his 25 guys, and that's how they do it. So I want to also say that Danny Worf has been freed. <laughs> uh, yeah, finally, the poor guy, you know, they were the Tigers said, well, Jim Leland said he had, he's a major league talent. He was on this team from the get-go, but there were some contracts we just couldn't let get rid of, so he got sent to tri- AAA. Obviously, they're talking about Ramon Santiago's. But, yeah, Kurt, other than, you know, Worf got, finally got some major league time and Cassiano's coming up, there really wasn't much of note when it came to September call-ups, was there? There wasn't much available when it comes to September Yeah, call-ups. good point. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty quick glance to figure out that nothing was going to come up. So, yeah, it, it, there, it just was not a year to get excited beyond Cassiano's. You know, Hookslide, I am thrilled to see Danny Worth get the call, you know, but, you know, for all the uh, angst that was uh, had, had went down in spring training between the uh, who should make the team, Danny Worth or Ramon Santiago, again, th- you know, we're arguing over the 25th, 24th guy on the roster. And, you know, as much as we rail on or, you know, we rail on guys like Don Kelly, Ramon Santiago, Tuiasa Sopo, Danny Worth, these are all guys who – in the big scheme of things, shouldn't make a difference one way or the other to the, for the overall Tigers record. Well, let's get one thing straight right off the bat. The 25th guy in the roster is Don Kelly, period. <laughs> he will never be supplanted. But, yeah, when you come down to, you know, who's number 24? Is it Santiago? Is it Danny Worth? Um, I think Ben Folds had a song back in the 90s that, that fits the occasion. I think it was called The Battle of Who Could Care Less. <laughs> And that's kind of how I feel about those two. Like, really, I mean, you think Andy Dirks is consistently unremarkable? My God. Let's let's talk about uh, Santiago and, and Danny Worth. We all root for these guys, and we want the Tigers to do well. We want them to do well. 
But does it really make a difference if Danny Worf had been on the roster instead of Ramon Santiago? No, it's still half, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. You know, they're very comparable players that the only advantage to Worf is that he's a hell of a lot cheaper. But the Tigers aren't worried about that so much either at this point with their payroll. So it's, uh, it's awesome that these guys get called up. But, you know, if, when you, if you ever took a serious Look at the at the Tigers AAA roster. It's pretty scary in its mediocrity, to say the very least. You know these guys are up, so be it, and we'll all move on and root for Danny Worth. Well, you you can root for Danny Worth. <laughs> I, I have this very bad traumatic mental association because the first time I saw him play this year was in that blowout ah. a couple nights ago against the Red the Red Sox. So you know when I saw him, I, I can't disassociate those two things in my mind. So <laughs> scary. <laughs> Maybe Kurt tweeted that you've been, you there's aliens in your area. I mean, that, that's, maybe that's affecting your worldview at this point. I am the alien. <laughs> Kurt would know that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, playoffs. MLB released playoff. Uh, they released ties. They released the dates. They start October 4th. Coverage will be split between Fox, TBS, and the major and MLB Network. And if the playoffs started today, you no, know, even though the Tigers got killed twenty to four, they would still be the number two seed in the American League and would have, but they would not have home field advantage in the ALCS. Obviously, they wouldn't have it in the World Series because the All Star Game counts. Max Scherzer is the winner. Yeah, well, obviously, I should, <laughs> and I should say that they will, they won't have home field advantage in the ALCS if they have to play the Red Sox. I mean, we'll put it that way. So let me ask you this, Kirk. I know a lot of people are starting to play this card because of what happened in. In Boston, and historically the Tigers haven't done well in Boston, is that the Tigers need to win home field to make sure they can make it to the World Series. So that is a very, very important thing for a Major League Baseball team to have home field advantage. Do you agree with that? Do you think the Tigers should be playing towards that? Well, I mean, I think the Tigers should be trying to win every game possible, but I don't think they need home field. I mean, first off, you know, did they get swept in Boston? No. You know, during the playoffs, you just need to win one on the road and defend your home, and they're pretty darn good at Comerica Park, so that seems realistic. And number two, if we look back and say, you know, how did the ALCS or how did, I mean, how did the the, the AL home field advantage or the NL home field advantage team do? Um, look back in the past 10 years. Most of the time, that team didn't win the World Series, so it just wasn't that important. You know, it's baseball. I think you you, you know, you have a, a two or three percent advantage if you're at home, but it's not that big of an advantage. It just doesn't matter that much. What it matters is to Mike Illich and his, yeah. his his wallet, because you know those extra home games are gonna are gonna help pay for the roster and you know all the extra concessions and parking. And it's good for downtown Detroit. And it's good for the bars of downtown Detroit. So it's, it's good for the community to win home field advantage. But as it, a baseball thing, it, it it's not as important. No. Yeah, I hope so. I don't, it seems like these people are forgetting all of the wild cards who have had long playoff runs. Um, I don't know what to say. Kurt just blew my mind <laughs> by referencing concessions and, and bar economics. I, I am stunned. I had never even considered that, that angle. Um, wow. No, when it comes to the home field advantage, there, there's a couple different ways to look at it. Um, you can look at like the current standings right now in terms of the six uh, first place teams. And every one of them has, you know, over a 500 record with their, uh, you know, their home field. Right. Uh, Atlanta has the highest with a 72% win rate. Uh, Boston would be second with 65%. So part of me says, oh, yeah, I, if it's going to be uh, down to Detroit and Boston, I would much prefer, you know, that Boston not have that little bit of advantage. Um, but let me just completely discredit everything I just said, uh, that when you go back to the last 30 years, of World Series play, uh, the Tigers with the home field advantage only have a 25% win rate, and that's I mean that's that blows my mind that that they lose that often with the home field advantage. And you just blew Kurt's mind because you did research something he doesn't believe in. <laughs> what stats? Why do we need stats? I like pitchers that win. <laughs> Damn it, Jim. <laughs> And, and let me put it out there, right? This year, the Tigers are 37-32. Uh, that's a 5-36 winning percentage on the road. So they, they and, that, and actually, that's quite an improvement because they were awful on the road for the, in the first half of the season. 
I'm with you guys. You know, does it make a difference? Maybe a, a little bit. Obviously, a lot to the to the pocketbooks of the owners, and maybe a little bit with you know you got the tenth man in the crowd, so to speak. But the biggest game of things, yeah, this, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. But if the Tigers, uh, you know, lose a series in Boston in the ALCS, then people will go up and all up in arms about it because that's what they do, and they'll ask for Jim Leland to be fired again. So even though I had nothing to do with that. In our controversies part of the podcast, you know, there's been so little steroids talk, so I had to kind of scramble Thank for goodness. it. Yeah, you know, but I had to kind of scramble, but there is there is the annual kind of an evergreen, and that is expanded rosters. Uh, Jim Leland has long railed about expanded rosters, and uh, there was a, a piece in uh, the Hardball Talk, the Bob Nightgale, linked to Bob Nightgale of USA Today, said the vast majority of managers and front offices in Major League Baseball aren't fans of the expanded rosters. Uh, and uh, this is the quote from Bob Nightingale. It is the most asinine rule in baseball. It directly impacts the pennant races, alters the integrity of the game. Baseball loves that integrity of the game thing. And could mean the difference between a team sitting home or playing in Game 7 of the World Series. Now, I think that's overblowing it at least a little bit. But I do think that it's you know, kind of silly because different organizations use the expanded rosters in different ways. Teams who are in a playoff race or setting up for the playoffs use the expanded rosters in a different way that, say, the Astros or the Twins would, who are just treading water till the end of the season. So, you know, is there a solution to this to this problem, or is it even a problem, Kurt? Is this just a perceived a perceived problem that doesn't really exist, or is there something to this? Until we have balanced schedules, I'm not going to be concerned about this. You know, if this, what happens in September when a teams add, you know, three or four new players is such a big deal, then maybe we should be talking about teams not playing, you know, the same number of games against each opponent. Or one division playing, you know, the weak division in the NL, while the, another division plays a, a stronger division. You know, that, that kind of thing matters to me a whole lot more than, than rosters expanding. So, yeah, you know what, baseball is a little unfair, and baseball is always going to be a little unfair. Uh, I'm not in the slightest bit concerned about expanded rosters. If people are looking for this kind of stuff, then, well, you should be all up in arms that the Rangers and A's get to play the Astros so much compared to everybody else. You know, you know, that's, you know those are just absolutely double-digit gimme wins for them. So, you know, uh, hopefully, let me ask you this. Uh, do you agree this is the most asinine rule in baseball, or is there a place for expanded rosters? Uh, it would be hard to call that the most asinine rule in yeah. baseball. I have a much bigger problem with things like, you know, one-game wild card slots uh, and, you know, stuff like that. There's two ways to look at it, I guess. I mean, I can see the point, you know, in saying, hey, you had to play the entire season up through September with a particular, you know, composition of your of your team, and suddenly September comes around and you get to, you know, mix things up, and boy, what, what does that introduce into the equation? On the other hand, I, I tend to look at that and think, come on. Who do you have, you know, in your in your farm system that's going to make that big of a difference? Yeah. And if they were going to make that big of a difference, why weren't they on the team, you know, up through September? And so, let me just add on top of that, the the trade deadlines at the end of July and August. So you know, if we're going to talk about, oh, you know, the composition of the team has changed, maybe it's unfair for teams to be able to change their composition in July. Well, let me ask you guys this. Uh, Jim Leland has always been a proponent of the NFL style of handling your uh, roster. In the NFL, you have a 53-man roster, but you have to uh, scratch five. You're only allowed to have 48 on game day. He's always been a proponent of have as many guys on the roster as you want when they expand, but on game day you have to designate you know whatever the number would be, you know, 25, 28, whatever, and that way you don't get this – you have 35 guys on your bench, and then you guys – you got people like Robin Ventura who's got to use every single one of them, <laughs> you know, during a, in a game when he makes, uh, you know, bullpen change after bullpen change. What do you think What do you think of that, Kurt? Do you think that might be a happy medium? You know, I think it still introduces – I mean, it still allows for a problem, which I think the problem is always going to be that you're, you're going against players you don't have enough scouting on. So yeah. I, I think that, that problem is still going to remain. So maybe maybe it's – some what of a you know a middle ground, but it doesn't change that problem at all. Uh, let me ask you, Hookfly. Do you agree with the Jim Leland solution that you need to have uh, designated scratches for every game when you have expanded rosters? I'm really not sure that that changes things that much. Um, 
I, I agree with whatever Kurt thinks on this one. <laughs> I guess you're right again, Kurt. He's shocked. <laughs> he doesn't know what to say. <laughs> Sometimes saying nothing is the best thing at all. <laughs> and I'm sure, and Kurt, I'm sure there's people out there who will say you. I wish they would. They would. You would take that advice more often, but Pro- probably. <laughs> Actually, I just I I kept I almost hung up on you. I was trying to unmute the thing and I almost hung up on you. <laughs> no, see, then we would have taken it a different way. So, screw <laughs> <laughs> you guys. I'm going home. Yeah. Oh wait, I'm already there. <laughs> All right. So again, this is just one of the, uh, you know, in the end of the season here, you know, there's not, you know, oftentimes we have podcasts where we could spend hours, it seems like, on one topic. But considering the Tigers are in right now, there really isn't a lot to really complain about, except for obviously the 20 to 4 loss, which really isn't much to complain about in the big scheme of things when you're talking about a team that's six and a half games in front. I guess that's that's what's bugging me, and which kind of leads us to final thoughts. I'll go into that a little bit, but. So we're going to wrap up the show with final thoughts where anything you guys like to add, it hasn't been covered. Now's the time to do it. So hook slide, anything on your mind before we call it a podcast? Uh, I'm really still curious about the whole issue of who ends up uh, pitching in the, in the, in the playoffs in the, in the roster rotation. I'm still crunching numbers and looking at the, the lineups and the makeups there on the, on the starting pitching rotation. And, uh, I'm telling you, uh, looking at the Tigers wind record, based on how many runs they allow the opposing team to score. When they let the opposing team score four or fewer runs, they're winning 82% of the time. And the two pitchers in the rotation that are, that are consistently keeping, you know, opposition to that four runs or lower, it's, it's uh, Max Scherzer and, and Anibal Sanchez. But when you look at the other side of that, uh, that when they allow five or more runs, they're only winning 25% of the games. The two uh, worst offending pitchers in that, Department are are Rick Porcello and guess who? Just Verlander. Verlander. I was just gonna. I was that would have been my guess. So Verlander is doing that in yeah. uh, one out of five of his starts. So that's that's my my contributions. I'm still kind of curious as to what the what the starting rotation looks like for the playoffs. Now, well, let me ask you this: Do you think Jim Leland is going to go with the with history? You know, go with the traditional ace and go with uh, Justin Verlander because realistically, as you as you just brought up, it would make a hell of a lot more sense. At least for the opening play, game of the playoffs, because after that it becomes kind of a, uh, a roll of the dice, because you don't know if a series is going to go five or seven or whatever. It really, does, you're right. It, it really does make more sense to go with Scherzer or actually Sanchez. Uh, if anything else, I, even though it, it, this one loss record doesn't uh, reflect it, Anibal Sanchez has equaled, if not bettered, Max Scherzer. So you think it might? If you were if you were Jim Leland, uh, Hoxley, let me ask you, who would you start? I would probably start Scherzer, but then I would go right to Sanchez. And, and when I talk about that stat, about those two pitchers not yeah. allowing, you know, more than four runs in a game, uh, they're tied. They, they have only done that in 8% of their starts. It's, it's an incredible, you know, like, wow, they are really, uh, I, I don't understand why Sanchez's win-loss record doesn't, you know, reflect that. But those are absolutely the first two that I would go with and then go with Verlander because, honestly, home field advantage, you know, does it help, does it not? I would much rather see Scherzer Sanchez pitch and get the Tigers off to a quick, you know, two games to none lead, and then I don't really care where they're playing. So that's a good point. Actually, that's probably going to be one of the things people will be watching closely towards the end of the season because that final week, we'll see how Jim Leland starts to arrange his rotation, and that's going to tell us volumes as to what his plans are for the playoffs. So, uh, very good points by Hook Slide. You know, he's blowing our minds of this research, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to contribute something, and I'll add one more thing, just for a random fun fact. Okay. Not even a fun fact, but just for fun. Um, I have over the last week been slowly compiling a little archive of radio clips from Dan Dickerson, some of the classic radio calls from this year. So if anybody who is listening is interested in checking this out, uh, I have a little site set up. Uh, it's chirbit.com. C-H-I-R-B as in boy, I-T, chirbit.com slash Cabrera's Corner. If you go there, you can find a bunch of clips from uh, Dan Dickerson calling Tory's walk-off homer and Cabrera's walk-off home run and a bunch of fun stuff. So that's just the next time the Tigers lose 20-4, to 4, just go visit that site and you'll feel 100% better. Yes, and we will have that linked in the show notes, as long as I remember to do it, but I should. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, Kurt, you're up. Anything oh, on your oh, mind? Oh, crap. I wasn't expecting that. So, uh, 
No, you know, it's related, I suppose, but, you know, has Justin Verlander turned the corner? This just feels like last year when we kept wondering if the team turned the corner. You know, one game we have bad Justin, then we have good Justin, then we have Jason, then we have good Justin, and, and recently we've seen, a, we, you know, we, we've seen reason for hope. So, you know, I, I can't tell you whether, whether this is, the, you know, Justin we're going to see for the rest of the season, but if, if it were... Ah, boy, you'd have to really like the Tigers' chances in the playoffs. Sorry, that's the end. Yeah, the end. Yeah, you know. <laughs> no wackiness ensued, thank goodness. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and all I'll add is the, uh, I was, you know, I, this sentence set me off on a rant, but this, the yelling of there, I still see this when I make the mistake of, say, looking at the Facebook comments, uh, for us or what, or what columns at the news or, you Never know. Never look at those comments. I, Never. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, there's, there's, uh, there's, no matter what happens, there's a fire Leland content, uh, contingent there. It's always there. And, you know, it's like the Tigers are up six and a half. Well, they should be up eight and a half. Well, they were up eight and a half. Well, then they should have been up double digits. You know, it's, you know, it's like the, the goalpost is continually moving with these people that the Tigers have done so much, yet it's still not enough. And it, it's funny that, you know, the Tigers could win a World Series, but they'll complain that it took them seven games to do it. And that means they should get rid of this guy or something. So I, I, we, we say this over and over. I know some people t- think that we tend to bash the fans too much in this podcast. We're not bashing the vast majority of fans out there, and God forbid anybody, bless you boys, because that's, you know, that, they've got a lot of smart, smart people that read that site and comment there. It's the types that, it's a very small, small minority. Unfortunately, they tend to be very loud because they do it in public forums, such as the comments and big sites, such as Detroit News, Free Press, at the newspapers, and obviously on Sports Talk Radio, <laughs> let alone the, the hosts. Don't get me going on them. So. You know what's really interesting, yeah. Al? Yeah. Uh, you talk about this this extremely loud, you know, vocal minority that seems like the majority because of how, you know, omnipresent they are on these particular yeah. sites or whatever. But to tie this in with what Kurt talked about, you know, Jason Verlander versus Justin Verlander versus who the hell are we getting on the mound this time? You would think from reading Facebook, you know, or any of the news sites that the majority of the fan base hates Justin Verlander. Yeah. And I was actually at the game last Sunday uh, when he pitched against Cleveland. And I really didn't know what to expect, you know, when, when they announced him as the starting pitcher and he took the mound. But you know what? The place went nuts. Absolutely erupted, you know, in standing ovation and cheering. I thought, wow, I mean, it seems like the majority of the fan base loves this guy. So who are these people and how much of a, you know, minority are they really that are, you know, always complaining about him? Well, think of it this way, that. The internet fan base is just a small segment of the very large fan base that, you know, follows the Tigers occasionally on TV or on the radio and, and reads about them in the paper and don't comment on it at all other than maybe we're around their friends. Then you got a smaller segment that's the internet fan base, and then you got an even smaller segment that is that vocal minority that seems omnipresent on a lot of the internet websites. And, and guys like us who write online, spend a majority of our fandom, you know, covering the Tigers online, I guess you, know, you just put it right there, uh, hook slide. It, that's I think kind of skews our vision of it sometimes too. Yeah, because I would have assumed that the the online presence was more representative of the, you know, I'm sorry, but the, the ballpark fan. That well, that's more the casual fan, realistically, because uh, you know they're, they're drawing three million people a season, you know, and not all of them tend to go to Kurt's columns and call him an idiot. <laughs> no, that's just me. I, I go there to call Kurt. Well, most of you. <laughs> I do under an anonymous account. <laughs> please keep that in mind, guys. We, you know, the bashing we're doing, it's a very small segment of the overall Tigers fan base. Uh, it, as I said, it's a segment of a segment. It's a fraction of, of a smaller fraction. So they're yeah, out there, you know, just try to ignore them best you can. And we do tend to call it out occasionally because it's, it gives us something to talk about. Because when a team's this good, you know, we're complaining about Matt Tuiasosopo, for Christ's sake. Right. And you got to draw the line. And I, I always say, I'm not bashing any particular person as a person. I am, if I'm bashing anything, it's a mindset, not, not the person. With that, that sounds like a good place to wrap up the podcast. So, uh, Hook Slide, where, where can they find you online, such as the Twitters? Uh, you can find me, of course, at the Bless Your Boys site. Um, and then on Twitter at Cabrera's Corner. And Mr. Benching, how about yourself? Um, 
Bless you, boys. This really and Sunday nights on uh, MLB SB Nation MLB. Yeah. yeah, and of course Rob is handling that account as well on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So uh, that's always a good follow. So please do follow along with uh, the Twitter accounts of all of us at Bless You Boys. I link to them all in the show notes, but also you know the SB Nation MLB account. And of course I'm on Twitter at Big Al Byb. And of course uh, I, I should put this occasionally, but I do. Uh, do another podcast with my friend Greg Eo, the the jerks. Uh, we talk more general Detroit sports, but there's, there's a lot of baseball talk on it right now because the Tigers are obviously the big story right now. And until the NFL starts this weekend, well, they already have, and I'm sure Kurt has already gotten his fill of NFL football after having to cover it for one night, haven't you? Uh, actually, last night while everyone else was doing the NFL, I was writing about Canada's hockey jersey. <laughs> uh, that, sound, that does sound like you, Kurt. It really does. Hey, a lot of people read that post. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure you had you, you were yelling, "Give me a gift!" When uh, the the one linebacker for the the Broncos uh, decided to, to spike the ball at the two yard line. So. Actually, actually, I did. You know, we. I'm not going to talk about the sausage and bore everyone, but we have a you know a pretty big team of people, so I don't have to pay attention to everything. But in that one particular instance, I did say to give me a gift. <laughs> that, that was the only time the whole night. That's kind of like a uh, in the old school newspaper news. Is that kind of like your stop the presses? Stop the press! He dropped the freaking ball. <laughs> I gotta say, I watched that game last night, at least as much as I could bear until the blowout got out of control. And that play was just hysterical. And I, I guess you shouldn't call it hysterical because it also got one of his own players injured. It was uh, it was just so ridiculous. It was uh, that's the NFL at times. The NFL is so over the top, it can be ridiculous, and that play kind of encapsulated that. Regardless of that, I'm rooting for the Lions, and I'm sure Kurt is rooting for the Green Bay Packers. And Hookslide, do you root for the Lions, or do you? Uh, they're talking about football again. Oh my God. Sorry, guys. I, I don't watch anything but baseball. Well, you got to remember though, you're you're talking to a former full-time football blogger, so who made a decision. Uh, okay. To uh, actually, a very smart decision to uh, transition from the Lions to Tigers, and I've been thanking the the blogging gods ever since that I did. So you know, Al, it's okay. Kurt, <laughs> I, I, the fact that you used to write, you know, for the Lions, um, I will not hold that against you. We all make mistakes. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't hold it against them either. So <laughs> yeah, even though I did it for like six years, well. But yeah, that's uh, that's my that's my little skeleton in my blogging uh, past is that I was a, I wrote exclusively for the Lions for a very long time. So, regardless of all that, let's wrap up the podcast. So again, follow us on Twitter. Go to the site blessyouboys.com. Follow my other podcast, The Knee Jerks. You can find it at the same places you can find this one, such as Stitcher, iTunes, usual uh, podcasting like places. With that, let's call it a night. So until this time next week, or you know, give or take, we'll figure it out. This is Al Beaton saying good afternoon and good luck, along with Hooks Like. Uh, goodbye. And Kurt mentioned. I'm hungry and I got a piss. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll be back on the next Bless You Boys podcast, and we'll make sure Mr. Benching has a piss bottle. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Son of a bitch. <laughs> True enough. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella. <laughs>